0: do it now. Mangled manifestations. In this session we will look at some of the more dramatic, spectacular things of the word faith movement and the charismatic movement in general. Uh, We will be looking at tongues. We will be looking at people who claim to go to heaven and just some kind of uh, bizarre stuff here. Now, as we begin, I do want to define a couple of terms because they're misunderstood. Now. Talked about this a little bit in our last session, but there is a debate within Christianity as to whether or not the sign gifts, the apostolic gifts, or the revelatory gifts continue to be operative in the church today. There is a position known as continuism, and if you are a continuist or a continuationist, that means that you believe that all of the spiritual gifts, including the sign gifts, which would be tongues, interpretation of tongues, a lot of people don't realize that those are two different gifts, but they are. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, uh, the gift of miracles, and the gift of physical healing, that those gifts are operative in the church today. And if you are a continuist, that is another way of saying a charismatic. Okay? If you, even if you don't speak in tongues personally, if you believe that all of the spiritual gifts are still operative in the church, that is by definition the charismatic position. There is another position known as cessationism. If you are a cessationist, that means that you believe that not all of the spiritual gifts have ceased, but only the sign gifts, the revelatory gifts have ceased. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, miracles, and physical healing. So uh, I am a card carrying cessationist. Okay, and as a amen, as a cessationist, I believe. Not that all the gifts have ceased, only the signed gifts. But I very much affirm the gifts of teaching, mercy, administration, exhortation, uh, giving. Those gifts are very much operative in the church. I only believe that the signed gifts are no longer operative in the church today. So I want to begin with a little quiz, a little pop quiz. Which theological group does the following? Which group do you automatically think of when you see the following behaviors? Erratic, jerking and shaking. They have uncontrollable laughter. They get slain in the spirit. They fall over backwards. They prophesy. They claim to have physical healings and they speak in tongues. Which group do you automatically think of when you see these behaviors? Charismatic, Presbyterian. Charismatic, (laughs) Charismatic, uh, Pentecostal, right? Hindus. Hindus. Does that surprise you? You can look at video clips of people practicing Hindu Kundalini and put them side by side, video clips of charismatics, and you cannot tell the difference. They look exactly alike. I want to give you an example of this. Now I'm going to show you some video clips. It's going to begin, You'll see first you'll see the word Christian and you'll notice it's in quotation marks because what follows the word Christian will be video clips from various charismatic churches. Then you're going to see the term cultic. What follows the word cultic will be people in Hindu kundalini. And it's going to bounce back and forth between the two. Watch how similar they are. Let's we'll see. We need volume here, guys. I want to start this over.
1: What? What, what happened to you?
2: I was sitting here. I was. Sitting here. I was, sitting here. I was sitting.
3: Marilah kita selalu ketawa untuk diri, untuk orang lain, ketawa untuk keluarga, masyarakat, dunia, dan negara.
0: Spirit. You see they look exactly alike. You cannot tell the difference. People in the charismatic movement exhibit the exact same behaviors that people in the Hindu kundalini do. And that tells us that just because someone is exhibiting one or more of these behaviors is not necessarily an indication that ability is coming from God. Pagans do it too, and they do it in the exact same way. Dear friends, we cannot interpret the Bible by what we experience. We must interpret our experiences by the Bible. Now, I want us to talk about tongues a little bit because this is the kind of the distinctive of the charismatic movement. Um, it's what they're all known for. So a brief overview here. A few bullet points. Number one, tongues are not unique to Christianity. Pagans do it too. Hindus speak in tongues, Mormons speak in tongues, uh, some Muslims if you can believe it or not speak in tongues. There's a lot of Buddhists speak in tongues and they do it in the exact same way that charismatics do. Tongues can be practiced in an ignorant ungodly way. Tongues can be practiced in such a way that it brings attention to the person speaking in tongues rather than glorifying Christ and edifying his church. If done in public, in corporate worship, an interpreter must always be present and must always interpret. Paul says that tongues must be done by two or at the most three, each in turn, Paul says. And then he says, let one interpret. And if there's no one there to interpret, Paul says, let him remain silent. In other words, if there is no interpretation given, then it is not of God, period. End of discussion. It is false that all believers should speak in tongues. Some churches teach that if you are saved, your salvation will be evidenced by you speaking in tongues. And if you don't speak in tongues, well, then you must not be saved. But that is patently unbiblical. The Apostle Paul asks a series of rhetorical questions in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, All are not apostles, are they? All do not work miracles, do they? All do not speak in tongues, do they? And clearly the implied answer to these rhetorical questions is no. No, they don't. So it's patently unbiblical to teach that if you are saved, you must speak in tongues. And we don't make that assertion for any of the other spiritual gifts, do we? Have you ever heard someone say, well, if you don't have the gift of administration, you're not a Christian, you know? No, I mean, if that's true, I'm not a Christian. (laughs) You know, that's the whole point of the spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit distributes to each one individually as he wills. Every Christian does not have every spiritual gifts. gift. Yeah. Also, tongues were for a sign of judgment. And this is something that the vast majority of people don't understand. And I myself didn't understand until 10 or so years ago, 10, 12 years ago. But there's only there's only one place in the New Testament that gives us a reason, a function for the gift of tongues, and that is in 1 Corinthians 14:20 20 through 22. Paul says that tongues were for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Now, what did Paul mean by that? Did Paul mean that when an unbeliever sees you speaking in tongues, they will just be so impressed by that ability that they'll just have to come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord? No. That's not what he meant and we know that that's not what he meant because there in that text Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 28. So now the question is well what's happening in Isaiah chapter 28? Judgment. Judgment. One of the signs that God was bringing judgment to Old Testament Israel is there would be a group of people in their midst speaking a foreign language. Not unintelligible gibberish but a foreign language, Assyrian or Babylonian. And which brings us to this point, the genuine gift of tongues was known languages, not speaking in unintelligible gibberish. But when, these, when the Old Testament Hebrews found a group of people in their midst speaking a foreign language, then they knew, uh-oh, God's about to bring the hammer down. God's bringing judgment. And this is what Paul quotes, when he gives us a purpose for the gift of tongues, better said, the gift of languages. And this is what we see in Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit fell, the church was born, these men began to speak in different languages, right? Those languages are even listed there conveniently. There's like 15 or 16 different languages that are listed there. And that was a sign that God was bringing judgment to unbelieving Israel because Israel had rejected Jesus as their Messiah. And because of that rejection, God's salvific gaze, if you will, was shifting away from Israel, away from the Jews to the Gentiles. And God brought a partial hardening to the nation of Israel. And that hardening remains to this day. To this day, Israel Is under the judgment of God. Now, I'm not talking about a militaristic judgment. I'm not talking about a political judgment. I'm not saying that we should not support the nation of Israel. We absolutely should support the nation of Israel. Because Israel, sorry folks, but Israel is the only country in the history of the planet who has ever been in a covenant relationship with God. You know, I'm love the red, white, and blue as much as the next guy, but we are not in a covenant relationship with God. Israel is. And one day, God will return to Israel. I think Romans 11 is real clear about that. God will return to Israel in a dramatic way, but until that time comes, Israel remains under God's judgment in a spiritual sense. The vast majority of Jews to this day continue to reject Jesus as their Messiah. A few have embraced him, but, uh, but not most. So that's what the gift of tongues signified. So the gift of tongues was speaking in a known language, it just was not known to the one speaking it. Now it's, interestingly, it's interesting when you look at the history of the Pentecostal movement, the very early Pentecostals actually had, generally speaking, the right theology of speaking in tongues. In that they believed it was the ability to speak in a known language just wasn't known to the one speaking it. Charles Fox Parham uh, he had this Bethel Bible College and he decided that he would, in some of his, he would send some of his students off to different countries one boat to Japan one to China one to India and he believed that once they got there God would give them the gift of languages the gift of tongues he says the lord will give us the power of speech to talk to the people of the various nations without having to study them in the schools. He continues, there is no doubt that at this time, once they get to these different countries, his students, they will, be, they will have conferred on them the gift of tongues if they are worthy, believing they will thus be made able to talk to the people whom they choose to work among in their own language. The students of Bethel College do not need to study in the old way to learn the languages. So he got 18 of his students put some on a ship to China, some to India, some to Japan, believing that once they got there, they'd be able to walk off the boat, God would give them the gift of tongues, and they'd be able to converse to the people. Well, it didn't take very long to realize that that didn't work. S.C. Todd of the Bible Missionary Society investigated 18 of these Pentecostals who went to Japan, China, and India expecting to preach to the natives in those countries in their own tongue and found by their own admission, quote, in no single instance have they been able to do so. As these and other missionaries returned to disappointment and failure, Pentecostals were compelled to rethink their original view of speaking in tongues. And it was after these students came back in complete failure, it was only then that these early Pentecostals said, oh, wait, uh, yeah, about that, sorry. So we got that wrong. The gift of tongues is not speaking in a known human language, just not known to the one speaking it, no. The real gift of tongues is actually speaking in unintelligible, ecstatic gibberish. And that has been the Pentecostal view ever since that day. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? But to be fair, there was one student of Charles Fox Parham who claimed to get the real McCoy, the real deal, the real gift of languages. Her name was Agnes Osmond. And it was reported that Agnes Osmond on, actually, New Year's Day, 1901, uh, began to speak in tongues. She began to speak in Chinese fluent Chinese even though she didn't know Chinese. Not only could she speak in Chinese but she could even write in Chinese. Now unfortunately we don't have any audio recordings of Mrs. Osman speaking in Chinese. However, we do have photocopies of some of her writings in Chinese. Would you like to see them? Now, you don't need to be Chinese, nor do you need to know Chinese, to know that that is not Chinese. That's chicken scratch. But, charismatics like to claim to this day that Agnes Osmond could speak in fluent Chinese. No, she couldn't. Complete farce. Complete farce. Jack Haverd said, and he charism- was a charismatic till he recently died. He said, sadly, the idea of xenoglossalallic tongues, foreign languages, would later prove an embarrassing failure as Pentecostal workers went off to the mission fields with their gift of tongues and found their hearers did not understand them. I bet they didn't. Listen to this audio clip. I don't know why the graphic is cut off there, but listen to this audio clip of someone speaking in tongues. sounds like a charismatic speaking in tongues right no it's this guy terence mckenna he was an ethnobotanist he wrote on the theoretical origins of human consciousness and rave culture and was an expert, an expert mind you, on metaphysics, shamanism and psychedelic drugs. <laughs> I bet he was. This was not a Christian. Not even remotely. Didn't claim to be a Christian and yet he could speak in tongues. Interesting. It's just a learned behavior. Now I want to show you a video clip of... Um, a real charismatic, his name is Andreas Viget. Uh, he's from Switzerland, originally. Uh, watch this video clip of Andreas speaking in
2: tongues. <speaking in tongues>
0: So that's the real deal, right? That's, I mean, that's a charismatic speaking in tongues. Um, I didn't give you the full truth. He was a former charismatic. He is no longer a charismatic. Andreas is now a card-carrying cessationist, as am I. But he used to be charismatic, and he used to speak in tongues. Watch what he has to say here.
2: Guys, this is not meant to be offensive, but we have to be honest. Modern tongue speaking is not supernatural. In the Bible, the gift of tongues is never identified as ecstatic speech or free vocalization. No, it is always the supernatural ability to speak in previously unlearned, intelligible human languages. But what I want to do in this video is to offer you further thoughts that help you to see that modern glossolalia is not produced by the Holy Spirit. One thing that demonstrates that are the countless people who kept their ability to speak in tongues after becoming cessationists. In fact, I myself am a former charismatic who can still speak in tongues. So let me give you a demonstration of that.
0: And then he went on to do the first clip. So here's a former charismatic, used to speak in tongues, used to think it was a real deal. He prayed in tongues even, but now he's a cessationist. But guess what? He still has the ability to do, speak in tongues. It's a learned behavior. You can teach a canary how to speak in tongues. And I can't tell you how many people like Andreas that I've spoken with over the years, and they have the exact same testimony that he does. They used to be charismatic, they spoke in tongues, now they're cessationists, but guess what they still have the ability to do? They can still speak in tongues. Why? Because it's a learned behavior. My guess is there's probably some people here in this room that used to be charismatic, used to speak in tongues, and now you don't. But I guess, my guess is that if if you were asked to do it, you could probably still do it. It's a learned behavior. So now you'll hear charismatics say, well. I speak in tongues because when I pray in tongues, Satan can't understand what I'm saying. <laughs> Have you ever heard that? A lot of charismatics say that. You know, when you when you pray in tongues, you're praying in the tongues of angels, you see. And Satan doesn't understand that. So you kinda slip one in under old Lucifer there. It's like we're we're talking in code. And so Because tongues, you see, is the prayers in the language of angels, and Satan can't understand the the language of angels. Does that make any sense? What is Satan? He's an angel. He's a fallen angel, but he's an angel. So if you want to pray in some language that Satan does not understand, then the tongues of angels would be the last language I would recommend (laughs) you praying in. That's what he is. doesn't make any sense. Doesn't it? so it, it just it, everything that charismatics believe about the gift of tongues is completely and totally wrong. It bears no resemblance to the genuine gift of languages. Okay, um, crucial to the charismatic position. Is the answer to this question? Are there apostles today? Capital A apostles, as in people who hold that office. Well, the charismatic position, of course, says yes, that there are. The word of faith and AR movement. But to be an apostle, you had to meet three different requirements. Now, technically there were four different requirements. The first one was you had to be a man, but assuming you were in that half of the population. There were three other requirements you had to meet. Number one, you had to be a first person eyewitness of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You had to see Jesus raised from the dead with your own two eyes. None of those guys are around anymore. Number two, you had to be directly appointed by Christ to be an apostle. You didn't run a campaign. Okay, you didn't just wake up one morning and decide, you know, I want to be the next Apostle and so you run down to the local print shop in Jerusalem and they have some campaign signs printed up, vote for me, your next Apostle. No, you had to be directly appointed by Christ to be an Apostle. And number three, you had to have the ability to perform the signs and wonders of an Apostle. Heal the sick, cast out demons, on occasion raise the dead. And to be an apostle, you had to meet all three requirements. And, dear friends, there is not a person anywhere on the planet today who meets even one of those requirements, much less all three of them. There are no more apostles today. Period. Period. And that is a devastating truth for the entire charismatic position. Now, this is way oversimplified, but I want to show you something that is known as the cascade argument for cessationism. If there are no more apostles today and there aren't, then neither can there be any more prophets today. Now how do we know that? Because the apostles and the prophets were held to the same standard. They operated under the same authority. And remember uh, Ephesians 4, the church is built upon the foundation of what? The apostles and the prophets, right? So if there are no more apostles today, neither are there any more prophets today. If there are no more prophets today, neither are there any more tongue speakers today. Well, how can you make that leap? The gift of tongues, the genuine gift of languages was also revelatory in nature and it carried with it divine authority because it was someone being given a message by God to communicate to the body but he was communicating it in a language that he did not know and did not understand. So that carried with it divine authority. And someone with the interpretation of tongues, or better said, the gift of translation of tongues could translate. The, in fact, let me I want to show you. I want to give a demonstration of what tongues would sort have of looked like. Um, tell me your name again, brother. Jean. Uh, Can you stand up just for a second? So let's pretend like we're at, uh, whatever, we're at uh, Grace Church in Jerusalem in the year AD 55, okay? Right in the middle of the Apostolic Era. All of the Apostolic gifts are still in operation. So we've met for corporate worship, and God gives Brother Al Jean a message to communicate to us. But instead of communicating it in English, all of sp- a sudden Al Jean starts speaking fluent uh, Swahili. Do you speak Swahili? So he speaks fluent Swahili, even though he doesn't know Swahili. But there's a problem. None of us know Swahili either. And so we have no idea what God is saying through Brother Al-Jean. Ah, but I just happen to have, you see, the gift of translation of tongues. And I can translate what he is saying in Swahili back into English for our purposes here. And I can do that instantly, even though, guess what? I don't know a word of Swahili either. And then Brother Al Jean would sit down. Thank you, brother. What's your name? James. Remember that Paul says that tongues must be done by two or at the most three, each in turn? Not all at the same time, each in turn. So after Brother Al Jean sits down, then Brother James stands up. God gives Brother James a message to communicate to us. But instead of communicating it in English, all of a sudden Brother James starts speaking fluent uh, Mandarin. Do you speak Mandarin? So he's speaking fluent Mandarin even though he doesn't know Mandarin. But there's a problem. None of us speaks Mandarin either, and so we have absolutely no idea what God is trying to say to us through Brother James. Ah, but I just happen to have, you see, the gift of interpretation of tongues. And so I can translate what he's saying in Mandarin back into English for our purposes here, and I can do that even though, guess what, I don't know a word of Mandarin either. And then Brother James would sit down. And so it would go. That's what the gift of tongues would have looked like 2,000 years ago. Now I ask you, have you ever seen what we just demonstrated here with brothers Al Jean and James done in a charismatic church? Nope. And you know what? You never will. 100% guarantee you never will. But that is what the gift of tongues would have looked like 2,000 years ago. If there are no more tongue speakers today, neither are there any more miracle workers today because the gift of miracles is also revelatory in nature. These are all revelatory gifts. And I don't know where along the chain you would break it. If the charismatic position is right, I would also have this question. If all of the signed gifts are still operative in the church today, here's my question. Where's the person with the gift of healing? Where's that guy? Where's the person who can go up to someone who is sick and with 100% confidence, 100% success, heal that person instantaneously? And I'm not talking about a psychosomatic healing. Oh yeah, bursitis in my shoulder, I think it's a little better. I'm talking about a real healing. I'm talking about an amputee growing a new limb. I'm talking about someone who was born blind with instant 2020 vision. Where's that guy? Where is he? If the Holy Spirit distributes the spiritual gifts among the body as he wills to do, and he does, we know that from 1 Corinthians 12, then where's the person with the gift of healing? You know what, dear friends? By God's grace, I have preached in thousands of churches all around the world. In almost every state, in 30 some odd countries around the world, and some of them multiple times. I've been in thousands of churches. And you know what, every, everywhere I go, no matter what church I'm in, if I'm in a true, doctrinally sound church, you know what I find? I find people with a gift of teaching. I find people with the gift of mercy. I see people with the gift of administration, the gift of exhortation. I see all these gifts. Where's a person with the gift of healing? Where's that guy? If you can find me even one person who has that gift anywhere on the planet, I will eat my crutch. That person does not exist. Now, don't misunderstand me. Am I saying that I don't believe that God ever heals people today? I'm not saying that. I believe that not only God can heal people today, I believe that on occasion He does. I don't think it's common, but I have heard a few, a few very credible testimonies of miraculous divine physical healing that simply cannot be explained in any other way. So I affirm that God heals people when it, when it is His sovereign will to do so. But that is a very different thing than saying that someone actually possesses the gift of healing. Does that make sense? Two totally different things, apples and oranges. So when God heals someone, He just does it. But that's not to say that anyone today possesses the gift of healing. Spectacular claims. All of the faith preachers make wild, spectacular claims about how God is just doing amazing things through their ministries. And Todd White, uh, based here in Keller, Texas, Todd White, um, he's a really powerful miracle worker and, and he's known for lengthening people's legs. That's what he does. He goes out on the street and he goes up to people at random and has them sit down on a chair on a bench or something and he kneels down in front of them And he takes each of their feet, one in each hand, and he puts their legs together. And without exception, everybody he does this with has one leg that is just about that much shorter than the other one. And he commands the legs to grow. So everybody out there apparently, the real pandemic, you know, forget about COVID. (laughs) COVID ain't got nothing on the pandemic of everybody around walking around with one leg about that much shorter than the other one. That's the real pandemic. So, And he commands the short leg to grow. He doesn't pray. He doesn't ask God to do it. No, he commands the short leg to grow. And 100% of the time, without failure, it grows. He puts it up on YouTube, all over YouTube. Here's one example. Watch. You're one leg shorter than the
1: other one it throws
0: you back out. Okay. Whoa, why is that?
1: <laughs> why did that,
0: why did that sound like the chipmunks?
1: You're one leg shorter than the other one. And it throws you back out. Okay. So regardless of like, well, yeah, no matter what. So what I'll do, regardless oh. of what you believe, I'm going to pray for you and Jesus is going to grow your leg out and heal your back. You don't even have to believe, dude. So
0: you get into the, the weirdest place of belief that you want. You can unbelieve as much as you want, and God's going to grow your leg out and heal your back. I promise, man, you grew up. Now, I'm going to, I want to pause it here. Uh, did you notice Todd White says, uh, he says, you can unbelieve as much as you want. Get in the weirdest place of unbelief. The reason that Todd White could say that with such confidence to this guy doesn't matter what you believe. It's going to work. The reason he could say it with such confidence is because he knows full well that what he is doing is a trick. Right now, Jesus name. Look at it. see it? Look at that. Do you guys
1: see that right there? Yes. It's longer now than the other one.
3: <laughs> so Father, I thank you for a brand new back off. I thank you that it's not about religion. It's about Jesus.
0: So, you heard the guy in the background. He said, look now, it's longer now than the other one. You know, so I guess God just kind of overshot it a little bit. And so now the leg that was short is is now the long leg, and the leg that was the long leg is now the short leg, so God's going to have to command the now short, formerly long leg to grow to match the other one. You know, if God keeps overshooting this thing, pretty soon this guy's going to be about 12 feet tall. But, you know, let's, let's be fair, shall we? Before and after. Wow, I mean the leg did grow, right? Not so much. Here's how he did it.
4: Now we're going to see Todd White's clip sped up quite a bit and looped back and forth. Now this is where we can see what's really going on here. The leg on our right is supposed to be the short leg, and this is the leg which should be miraculously growing, but it's not. Look at the leg on our left. That's where all the action is. That's what's actually being manipulated. You can see that Todd is actually pivoting or shifting the foot of the so-called long leg so that the heels match. Now, he's doing this very slowly over time, but it's painfully obvious when you speed up the clip.
0: It's a parlor trick. All he's doing is, is manipulating the tilt of the foot of the other leg. This is a parlor trick. Charlatans have been doing this for decades. It's just that Todd White has made it popular with the advent of YouTube. Todd White is a charlatan. He knows full well what he's doing is a trick. He's intentionally deceiving people. The miracles that are being performed, quote unquote, by the modern charismatics, dear friends, bear no resemblance to the true apostolic miracles of the New Testament. No resemblance. When the apostles healed people, everybody recognized it. The miracles that were worked at the hands of the apostles were undeniable, undeniable. In Acts chapter three, you remember that Peter and John healed the man who was born lame from his mother's womb, right? Born crippled, Peter and John healed him instantly. And that miracle was evident to everybody. In fact, so compelling was the miracle that the Pharisees brought him in and they interrogated him. And the Pharisees said this in Acts chapter 4 verse 16, they said, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. You can't deny true signs and wonders. Even the enemies of the gospel had to admit, "Uh, yeah, we can't deny it. I can deny all day long that Todd White is lengthening people's legs. Those aren't miracles. Those are parlor tricks. fact check, that's true. (laughs) No lie detected. Um, I want us to look a little bit at spiritual warfare. How the Charismatics view spiritual warfare. Watch this clip from Creflo Dollar.
3: If we will release our authority in faith, we can see things change today. It don't take another two or three months. It takes you getting mad at the devil, mad at the circumstance, mad at the sickness, mad at the lack, and say, I will not take this no more. You don't say, no, dear Mr. Devil. You go and you say, Devil, in the name of Jesus, I done put up with you the last ten years. Now, my Bible tells me that life is not supposed to be like that. And according to this scripture, and according to that scripture, and over here in this book, and over here in that book, this is how my life is supposed to be. Therefore, in the name of Jesus, I take my authority that I already have, and I command this to be in my life, and I rebuke you, I bind you, I I, I, I arrest you, I lock you up, I put you in chains, you get out of my life.
0: Wow, that's dramatic. Going to Satan, I arrest you. I bind you. I lock you up. I put you in chains. Yeah. you let old, you let old Lucifer have it there. You know, this is what the charismatics believe that spiritual warfare is about. That we have the authority to rebuke Satan, bind Satan. Actually, it's probably a pretty good idea if you bind him first before you rebuke him, because you wouldn't want to rebuke an unbound Satan. So he might, he might clock you. So bind him first, then rebuke him. Have you ever wondered all these people going around binding Satan? Who's the fellow who keeps letting him back out? That's what I want to know. Maybe you ought to go find him and bind him first and then go bind Satan because somebody keeps letting the rascal back out. Doesn't make any sense. Again, what I said earlier. A little common sense goes a long way in clearing a lot of this stuff up. Aside from the theology, just some common sense. But dear friends, this is not spiritual warfare. This is not a biblical approach to spiritual warfare. We do not have the power to bind or rebuke Satan. That's not spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is not the Frank Peretti view of spiritual warfare with swashbuckling angels and demons and you've got to do all this and you've got to rebuke Satan. By the way, there should never, ever, ever, under any circumstances, ever be an an occasion in which you and I talk to Satan. Don't do it. Ever. You remember in the book of Jude, verses 8, 9, 10, 11, the book of Jude interestingly is basically entirely de- dedicated to false teachers, or describing them, and it says that Michael the archangel and Satan had a dispute over the body of Moses. We don't know exactly what that looked like, but it's interesting. When Michael the archangel and Satan had a dispute over the body of Moses, it says that Michael did not dare pronounce against Satan a railing accusation, but rather he said, the Lord rebuke you. Friends, if Michael the archangel wouldn't rebuke Satan, probably a pretty good idea you and I not try to do it. Rather he said, the Lord rebuke you. We don't have the power to rebuke Satan, much less bind him. We don't have the power to cast out demons. Did the apostles do that? Yep. Are we apostles? Nope. nope. Real spiritual warfare is not the Frank Peretti stuff. Real spiritual warfare is not rebuking and binding and, oh, here's another one, breaking generational curses, You've heard that? If you're a drunk, it's not your fault. You see, you've got the demon of alcohol that has been passed through. Your great-great-great-great-grandfather was a drunk, and the demon of alcohol has just been passed through your bloodline, and and you just can't help it. You know, if if you're looking at porn, oh, that's not your fault. You've got the demon of pornography, whatever that is. You got to break that generational curse. That's garbage. All that stuff is is a way of absolving people from their one responsibility to do one thing, and that is to repent. Oh, it's not my fault. I'm not my fault. I look for not my fault that I uh, use profanity or take God's name in vain. Or you know, it's not my fault. I just I need deliverance. I need to have the demons cast out of me. If you're a Christian, you ain't got no demons in you. It is a way of absolving people of their responsibility to repent. You know, and all these things that so many churches do celebrate recovery, 11 steps to freedom in Christ or whatever. People sometimes ask me about that. I say, that's far too complicated. 11 steps, that's 10 steps too many. There's only one step, that's to repent. That's your step. Real spiritual warfare is a battle for truth. It's not a battle for territory. We're not trying to take back territory from Satan. I would commend to you. If you want to do a deep dive on spiritual warfare, check out this book entitled Truth or Territory, written by Jim Osmond. He's a pastor in northern Idaho. Good guy, good friend of mine, one of the best Expositors of Scripture I've ever heard. Uh, really, really good guy, and a, a deep dive on uh, spiritual warfare. And you can get—he's written several other books too. But uh, get his webs, uh, get his uh, books at JimOsmond.com. By the way, all of the money that comes in from selling his books, every penny of it goes to help retired missionaries and uh, to help them and their later years where they can't, you know, do mission work anymore, and uh, so he doesn't keep any of it, not a a penny. I've got as much respect for Jim Osmond as I do just about anybody, but excellent, excellent book. All right, I want us to, I have a fairly new section in my seminar, uh, this particular session, entitled, Why Are Charismatics So... Weird. (laughs) And let's just be honest. They are. They're weird. I want to give you a a few, show you a few clips. This is from the Jim Baker show. You might remember Jim Baker. Uh, Jim Baker was uh, infamously, famously arrested back in the late 1980s for fraud. It's hard to arrest a preacher for fraud because, you know, Freedom of religion, that's a wide berth, and if it's my religion to say, if you give me a thousand dollars, God'll heal you of cancer if you're foolish enough to believe that, well that's my religion you know it's your religion so it's it's hard to get sometimes I'm asked why, why do these prosperity preachers why do they never get prosecuted well, it's freedom of religion so uh, but anyway but he, he actually was arrested for fraud. I mean, legitimate tax fraud and all kinds of stuff. Sexually immoral, the whole thing, which is typical of false teachers. But, uh, and, and he spent time in prison, and in prison he wrote a book entitled, I Was Wrong. He says that he came to a place of real repentance. He realized that what he had been telling people was wrong. So he wrote a book entitled, I Was Wrong. But now... He's right back doing the same thing that he was doing before, so I guess now he needs to write another book, I Was Wrong About Being Wrong. (laughs) Anyway, this is a, a guest on his program not long ago. Watch this.
4: After Derek and I got married, one night this other Derek appears in our bed. The real Derek is lying down next to me. Other Derek,
3: I'm Larry, this is my brother
4: Daryl, that's my other brother Daryl. Other Derek sits right up out of it. It startled me. I knew that was not Derek, and so I asked this critter, who are you? Because he clearly wanted to have sexual relations. And he said, come on, I'm your husband. I said, who are you? And he had the nerve to claim to be Erosuerus, Xerxes.
0: Other Derek raised up in her bed, you know. It's just lunacy, absolute lunacy. Uh, watch this from a woman named Jenna Winston. She used to be on staff at Bethel Church. Now she's kind of gone off and on or doing her own thing. But watch this from Jenna Winston. This is creepy
4: that um, not long after I got there, I ended up having um, this encounter. Well, no, I ended up having what I now know to be natural deliverance, okay? So much Jesus was going in, and all of a sudden, to me, it felt like I got connected to all of this rage, and I started screaming and yelling and cussing and throwing stuff, and now I know it was actually the demons leaving. And I passed out on my bed. And that is when Jesus became real for me because Jesus walked in there and laid in that bed with me and started to play with my hair. And instead of telling me all the things I needed to fix, Mm. he said, I am so sorry for all the things that happened to you that made you not want to feel. You
0: know, Jesus walked in... To her bedroom, crawled into bed with her, and started playing with her hair. Friends, that's gross. <laughs> that is just gross. One of the things that you'll notice about a lot of these, most of these popular female Bible teachers is they have a very romanticized view of Jesus. Jesus is their boyfriend. Beth Moore speaks of Jesus in these terms. I'll show you that later. Um, That's just gross. That's gross. Only two possibilities here. She's either making this up out of whole cloth, or if she really thinks that if something did crawl into bed with her, it wasn't Jesus. So if she's not making it up, she's up to her eyeballs in demonic activity. And then she says, "Jesus apologized to her. I am so sorry. Remember, we heard that in the last session. Please forgive me. This time, I am so sorry. That's a different Jesus. This from Cat Kerr. Have you have you seen Cat Kerr? Cat Kerr is the pink-haired prophetess. The first thing you notice about her is she's got pink hair." And it's not just a simple fashion preference, no. Uh, You see, Kat Kerr shuttles back and forth between heaven and earth regularly. She goes multiple times per day, per day. She goes to heaven with the frequency that you and I go to the restroom. (laughs) She's constantly, and there's all kinds, she tells us all kinds of neat stuff about heaven. Uh, She says that uh, in heaven it's, Uh, You can ride dinosaurs, because the dinosaurs are up there, but they're very friendly. And uh, so if you've ever wanted to ride a brontosaurus or a a T-Rex, you're in luck, because you're going to get to do that. She said that Christopher Reeves is in heaven. And, uh, you know, Superman, of course, uh, she said his responsibility in heaven is to teach people how to fly. After all, he's Superman. And um, Michael Jackson is in heaven. Yeah. Uh, John Wayne is in heaven. She says John Wayne is still making Western movies in heaven. So you Western movie fans out there, you'll be happy to hear that. So all kinds of stuff in heaven. And this particular video, she tells us that she went to uh, one of the regions in heaven, and it's called Christmas Town. Watch this. And I might have a few edits in here along the way just to illustrate absurdity, but uh, here we go.
4: One of the places I was taken to is a, a place in heaven where it snows all the time. The snow is alive. Everything in heaven has life. The plants sing, the plants talk, the birds, the creatures, even the buildings shout out. The ground shouts out all the time and worships Jesus Christ. They have a place called the Friendly Forest. <laughs> Go and have conversations with trees, with the rocks. Ouch!
1: What do you think you're doing? We've been walking a long ways, and I was hungry. And
3: did you say something? She was hungry.
4: She was hungry. Uh, with the creatures, there's so much life there; you can't escape it. So I hope that under- makes you understand. In in Christmas Town, when you go there, that is where Nicholas lives. Yes, Nick. Some people call him Saint Nick. Some people call him Santa. Call him whatever. His actual name is Nicholas. But I do want to say this: He lives there. He loves the snow. It's nowhere he lived on Earth, and so God created this beautiful place. When you make a snowman in Christmas Town in Heaven, it is alive. Happy birthday! Because so there are huge trees in Christmas Town, and all the lights on the trees are baby stars like that he plucked out of the sky, put him on the trees, and they all sing worship music to Jesus, but they also sing Christmas songs. And I want you to know, Nicholas himself loves Jesus Christ. And that's why, therefore, the shirt, you know, here's the shirt right here with Santa and <laughs> having to do selfies with Jesus. <laughs> and then Michael is age 8. This is my son, and I asked him to ask you a question. And he said... Can I have a house made out of candy? Oh, you know, everybody, every child wants their house made out of candy, and the best part is we can eat it and it comes right back, uh, because it's heaven. Oh. There's a whole place called Jell-O Land in heaven, it really does exist. One, two, And then part of that land, of course, there's there's houses made out of candy, they're made out of all kinds of things. I know there's chocolate waterfalls, probably would be a part of that mansion made out of candy. Uh, You can just go jump out in the waterfalls and drink the chocolate or swim in the chocolate. In a world of pure imagination. And so, yes, in the Jell-O-Land part of it, people will reach out and they'll take, you know, a bite of the house or take a handful of the house and eat it and then it comes right back. You can bounce in the Jell-O-Land houses also and, uh, but the candy house I think is a great idea. It makes me think of that game, Candyland. So, uh, let me tell you, I will say this, Jesus Christ does have a soft part in his heart for sweet.
0: Lunacy, (laughs) lunacy, but she has millions of followers. False teachers are in and of themselves part of God's judgment on people. Kevin Zadai is a frequent guest on Sid Roth's program. Sid Roth has a program on uh, TBN and the INS uh, uh, Daystar couple other networks as well. But anyways, his show is called It's Supernatural. And every week he has some guest that has some dramatic, spectacular tale, just the looniest of the loony. But uh, Kevin Zadai is one of his favorite guests. Uh, Watch this from Kevin Zadai.
1: You were telling me about you uh, have seen, since you've been back here on Earth, uh, it's almost at times you can see what's going on in the invisible realm. You saw something in New Orleans. Tell me about that. Yes, I wonder why the Lord had sent me and my wife to New Orleans because it's it's such a, um, it's such a hard city and, in many ways. And so he told me, he said, because I trust you.
0: So Jesus told Kevin Zadai, I trust you. I thought we were supposed to trust Jesus. No, but apparently Jesus trusts us. Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them. For he knew all men. And because he had no need that anyone bear witness concerning men. For he himself knew what was in men. But according to Kevin Zadai, Jesus trusts us. Watch this clip from the same interview. And uh, one night... Kevin I had a very special guest just appear at the foot of his bed. Watch. And then he visits you
1: uh, and taught you how to play, uh, but what kind of sax did he have? It was interesting because there's several types of sax. This one right. was a soprano. I think in terms of a sax that's kind of curved. You know. Yes, and um, I have all of them, but this particular one he had was a soprano sax. It was a beautiful gold saxophone, and I was, I was sleeping at the time, and I, I heard something. So when I woke up, he was standing there, and he had this sax in, the, in his hands, and he started to play it over me you know, because he sings songs of deliverance
0: over us. Dear friends, that's, that's not Jesus. That's, uh, that's Kenny G. <laughs> <laughs> the looniest of the loony. Watch this from Sid Roth as he has a, a guest, and his guest on this program is named James Gall. Listen to what James Gall says. We need to do, we need to say to the Holy Spirit, watch.
1: Hello, Sid Roth here, and how do you like this set? Another new show for the ISN Network, Uh, James and Rachel Gall. The, The show was Family Feud. And my dad used to watch it, and he loved it. It's a family thing. And so I got hooked on it. I want you to see a few seconds of that right now. Let's roll it. China! China? Yes, sir. Carney did okay. she got 184 China, you need 16 okay. points to win. It. Okay. I'm going to ask you the same five questions you can ask. Acti- OK. Holy Spirit activate Oh no. Holy, oh, Spirit, yeah. oh, no. Activate. Holy Spirit activate Holy yes. Spirit activate activate. activate. Oh. All right, let's go. 11 years has never happened before. <laughs> I'm going I'm to tell you something. I've started proclaiming that. Mm. In fact, we just had an opening prayer, and that was how I started the prayer. That's Holy right. Spirit, activate. There's totally... Sid, I want to hear you rap it. Oh, you want to hear my rap? Come on, Sid. Sid, I'm going to push you. Hey, come on now. That's Holy not fair. That's my activate. That's my job, James. Oh, you're right.
0: Cringe, Just absolute cringe. And my sanctification will kick you into what I want to say about James God. <laughs> uh, remember when I said earlier, it is not we who have a low view of the Holy Spirit. It is they. It's charismatics who have a low view of the Holy Spirit of God. I'm a cessationist. I don't believe the Holy Spirit needs to be activated. I believe He's always active, and He certainly does not need my activation as if I am somehow sovereign over Him. Unbelievable. It's charismatics who have a low view of the Holy Spirit of God, dear friends, not us. Hmm. Let's see. And choose here for time's sake. I want us to talk about uh, false prophets. How can you tell a false prophet? A few bullet points here. Number one if a false teacher rules on his or her own authority rather than that of Scripture you're dealing with a false teacher, a false prophet. The faith preachers do this. Uh, they, are, they are not known for expositing Scripture. Charismatics really don't exposit Scripture. They exposit their own dreams and visions. That's what they exposit. And they'll say, well, I, you know, I got this from God. I got a dream. I got a vision. God spoke to me. I went to heaven. They rule on their own authority. Catholic Church does this as well, by the way. Um, they appeal to church tradition rather than Scripture, papal bulls. When the Pope speaks, number two, if a person peddles the Word of God for personal financial gain, you're dealing with a false teacher. Uh, now, it is perfectly biblical for a man who labors in the Word, an elder who labors in the Word shepherding their flock. It's perfectly biblical for that man to be paid, to be cons- compensated for his labors. That's perfectly biblical. We should do that for our pastors. But there's a difference between that and flying in private jets, wearing Rolex watches or Breitling watches that cost, honestly, some of these guys wear watches that cost 10 even thirty or fifty or even a hundred thousand I didn't even know there was a watch that was made that you could spend a hundred thousand dollars on, but apparently there is. There's a, dif- there's a difference between caring for your pastor and caring for him well than that. And, and exploiting the poor and the sick saying, give me money, God will bless you. Give me money, God will heal you of cancer. If a person deifies man while diminishing the glory of God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit, you're dealing with a false teacher. The faith preachers do this all the time. They deify man, we are gods, and they diminish the glory of God and Christ. If a person habitually displays questionable moral character, then he or she cannot speak for God. and all of the faith preachers have questionable, to say the least, moral character. We saw that with the history of this movement and you look at the big prosperity preachers today, uh, almost all of them either have already been exposed for immorality or the time is coming when they will be. Hillsong, Brian Houston, that if you've seen, have you, raise your hand, have you seen the documentaries that have been done on Hillsong? That organization is saturated with sexual immorality. All the way up to the top, to Brian Houston himself. But let's, let's sing their music to worship our thrice holy God. true. Sure. One of the easiest ways to tell a false prophet is if he offers prophecies that just don't come true offers prophecies that do not come to pass. Um, (laughs) Every year the prophets, so-called prophets, come out and they give you their prophetic word for whatever year is coming up. So in January, all the big names in the prophetic movement, they come out and they give you what the Lord is showing them about whatever year that is. They all did it in uh, 2020, of course. All these people, you got Hank Kuhneman, you got Perry Stone, Patricia King, David Herzog, Clarice, uh, whatever her name, Fluitt, Kevin Zadai, Cindy Jacobs, James Gall. These are some of the big names in the prophetic movement. So they came out and they gave their prophetic words. Kenneth Copeland does the same thing, all of them do. What is the Lord going to do in this year? Well, January 2020... They came out and they gave their prophetic words. 2020 had, it was a year with some of the most earth-shattering, globally consequential events that any of us has ever seen in all of our lifetimes and really in modern history. These clowns came out and they gave their prophetic words. Not a single one of them saw COVID coming. (laughs) Nary a one of them did. After COVID got here, then they began to prophesy that it wouldn't last long. They said, oh, it'll be over by Passover, Passover of 2020. (laughs) So they got that wrong. They didn't see COVID coming. Once it came, they said it would go away. It didn't. They didn't see the riots coming. Remember what happened after the George Floyd incident and then riots in cities all across this country, night after night after night after night, burning down buildings, businesses, people being attacked and even killed. None of them saw that coming. None of them saw the president of the United States getting COVID, which he did of course. And there's, there's one event in 2020 that everybody knew was on the calendar and that was the United States presidential election, okay? 100% of them prophesied that Donald Trump would win and would serve a second consecutive term in the White House. Watch these clips.
4: What I was hearing the Lord say was... This is my son, with whom I'm
1: pleased. I was praying on Sunday, saying, God, please tell me how it's going to happen. And I hope I've got the word. But first of all, I want to say without question, Trump is going to win the election. Kim Clement
2: is a prophet that was only the last generation, he passed away. And he shared that Trump would win two um, offices, and I, I, I felt the same thing at the same time, or two, two uh, times in a row.
1: Did God show you who's going to win the election? I dreamed that Donald Trump got reelected. There's no guessing games. He is the one that God's going to put His hands on.
4: For I hear victory, 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 victory in the quarters of heaven.
1: The Associated Press said that Joe Biden is president. Ha! Yeah, he's going to be president, Mickey Mouse is going to be king, yeah.
4: <laughs> the Lord says it is done.
1: Those who are sensing what the Lord was saying, no one, not one, prophesied that Joe Biden would win. Every single prophet has said that Donald Trump is going to win.
0: That is but a small sampling. There were literally, uh, I lost count, there are over a hundred prophets, and they all prophesied the same thing that Donald Trump would win. Now, even if you think there were some shenanigans going on in the voting machines, the you know, ballot drops in the middle of the night, or whatever, let's just say that did happen because that's what, they, that's, the, that's what they began to say. Oh, well, the election. Donald Trump really did win, but the election was stolen. Let's just say for kicks and giggles that did happen. Had that been the case and God was really speaking to this, these people, he would have told them, hey, guys, here's what's going to happen. Donald Trump's really going to win. But the election's going to be stolen by Dominion voting machines and ballot dumps at 2 a.m. and all that kind of stuff, broken water pipes and all this kind of stuff. It, God would have told them that. Not one of them said it. Even after, <laughs> amazingly, even after the election was certified, some of them, even after Joe Biden took residence in the White House, they were still saved that it's going to be overturned and Donald Trump's going to serve a second consecutive term. I mean, how obtuse do you have to be? Now, think about this. The United States presidential election, everybody knows it's coming, right? It comes around every four years, just like clockwork. You've got something as monumental as a United States presidential election. You've got months, years to prepare to make sure you're hearing God right and you've got a 50-50 shot at getting it right just by guessing. And you still get it wrong? You still get it wrong. Dear friends, there is more prophetic power in a magic eight ball than there is in all of the charismatic prophets put together. They still got it wrong. So, I hope this has been helpful for you, dear ones.